I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and activist Steve Davis. His new book is Undercurrents, Channeling Outrage to Spark Practical Activism. While there's no question that Americans are outraged about economic inequalities, LGBTQ rights, climate change, gender and income inequality, the pandemic, and the BLM movement, many don't know how to channel their feelings into activism and real systemic change. Drawing on years of experience in the activism field, Steve Davis shows readers how global citizens have harnessed their outrage to effect change, outlining the ways corporations and businesses can use their assets to begin the currents of actual change. He's a former director of social innovation at McKinsey and Company, lectures at the Stanford Graduate School of Business, also a strategic advisor and interim director, China Country Office for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and serves as co-chair of the World Health Organization's Digital Health Technical Advisory Group. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you very much. Well, after all that and the introduction, uh, sort of summarizing maybe what you do is I, and obviously what you talk about and write about in the book, uh, how to change the world in sort of practical and meaningful ways with instead of just being outraged, which many of us are, especially at this particular time in history, we can do something about it, be active. And um, I think the second part of the question would be, activism sometimes is a dirty word when it comes to like the business community doesn't have to be um, as you discuss in your book. So how do we do this? I mean, how do we become active and not just outraged? Put it in practical terms. Sure. Well, thanks for having me today. And and yes, I've been struck over the last, uh, you know, several years in my work, whether it's uh, working on policy work or teaching uh, at a university or working in this, uh, social sector, I've been running a large NGO, is how many people come to me and just say they're stymied, they can't figure out how to move forward, they're overwhelmed, outraged, and, and, and a bit paralyzed. So trying to think about that problem, I thought, you know, that the real challenge is to kind of uh, take off the, the, the kind of the, the scary parts, which are like, suddenly, does that mean I have to go out into the street and protest? Does it mean I have to uh, quit my job and uh, work full time uh, on some issue, um, or can I do it some other way? So my idea was is that you can actually channel that outrage taking by taking incremental and fairly practical steps. And to be an activist um, means a whole lot of different things. And often, most activism is simple uh, work in the community, often behind the scenes, often uh, incremental. And that practical activism is how we can change the world right now. All right, let's put that practical acti- activism, uh, put a face on it. You know, you talk about people come to you and say they don't know what to do. They feel like they're, they're angry, things aren't working out, et cetera, et cetera. But they just uh, kind of in a, uh, they can't go forward, can't move forward. Give us some examples of that. Sure. So, you know, a good example is I have a, a fair number of people, um, because of my eclectic career, I think people say, <laughs> oh, he, he understands how to, um, you know, I can get some advice from him. And people who are, you know, maybe they're an accountant uh, working at a large company and they're, they have a very successful career, um, but they're feeling like they're not giving back uh, or contributing to the community. And, 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 you know, and they say, look, where can I get a, a job like yours? And I often will say, don't, you know, that's probably not 
Steve, I'm losing you a little bit. I didn't hear that last sentence. I, okay. I, I lost it. Yeah, I, go I, ahead. Okay. Sorry. So I say, what about volunteering for as a um, as, on a finance committee of a, of a local nonprofit? So you can actually, um, you know, contribute in that way, adding, asking, you know, using your skills or your, your abilities. Um, I give an example in the book of a um, very clever uh, technologist who was thinking a lot about how to use new technologies like uh, drones and stuff, and he, but he wanted to do it, um, Kelo Renato wanted to do it um, to serve the communities he, he understood, and he had lived in Africa, so he actually figured out how to use drones to deliver blood and deliver vaccines in rural Rwanda and now around the world. So those are examples of people translating their sort of business skills and their and their their core day-to-day activities into actually activism that helps others. Are there any particular groups that you work with um, or that you, you have connections with who are more dissatisfied than others? Well, there's a lot of frustration in the world right now um, and, and anger uh, around a lot of the headlines um and uh and and there are a lot of people that are hurting terribly and i don't want in my general optimism i don't want to dismiss the pain and and challenges in the world um and and certainly i think we're seeing you know the the sort of realities hit in the pandemic around how um how unfair it is and how uh, it reveals the the racial and uh socioeconomic divides in this country um, and that's that's a, a source of a lot of pain. What I've talked about in the book, though, is that you can also uh, look at rather than the headlines, also keep track of the trend lines. And I talk about five of those in the book. But the trend lines that are showing that actually there's a fair number of things sort of below the surface, the undercurrent, that are actually moving us in the right direction over time. And so, trying to encourage those communities. Uh, you know, to find ways to, to do that kind of activism uh, in, in using one of these trends. So let's talk about what are the trend lines. So I identify five sort of larger undercurrents or macro trends that I think are um, very positive in general and, and give hope and courage, actually, to potential um, practical activists. Um, the, the first is, you know, then I'll be very summary, but the first is that uh, the world's actually uh, socioeconomically and in almost every aspect is actually, as a globe, getting better. We have far fewer people living in poverty, um, far fewer people getting sick and dying at the level we used to, at least pre-COVID. And, and, um, and we've made enormous strides. Uh, and frankly, it go, the world does no longer look like a, uh, a diamond that we used, um, a pyramid that we used to always talk about, that the base of the pyramid being the poorest people in the world, but it's more and more a diamond because that many more people have come into the middle class. And that is actually a very positive trend that will help us, you know, because that means more companies will get involved to serve that middle class, more um, uh, communities around the world, um, you know, have more institution and capability, and the people are basically living better. The second trend is how much more of our activism is now community-centered, and and that means that, you know, that we're seeing more and more human-centered design, community-centered approaches to education, to uh, 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 juvenile justice reform, to health uh, systems, and that voice of community uh, is, is empowering, and I think it's quite exciting. 
The third is so community the, um, centers, Steve. So let's talk about that in the United States. Uh-huh. I mean, you're talking about globally, uh, the sort of the rising middle class around the world, because we're always talking about the the, the diminishing middle class here in America, but uh, or in the United States. So. What about these community-centered activities? Talk about those in different cities or communities here in the United States. Sure. Um, yeah, well, I, I think probably one of the most interesting examples is is with respect to uh, climate and how, um, you know, with, with sort of the lack of leadership at the federal level in the United States, we're seeing many uh, cities and counties and states um, coming up with their own approach, their policies, their their um, agreements to to go carbon neutral and 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 meet different conditions, but also we're seeing more and more um, uh, evidence of uh, a local responses to say, for instance, um, homelessness or the I talk about the opioid addiction, where we've actually um, you know we still have a huge challenge there, but. When it's more less a large top-down big, uh, here's how you have to do it, but more based on how different communities work, the people they know in their community, the the, the services they want to provide given the particular community context. Those programs and there's a lot of evidence actually simply do better. They have a higher impact and have more successes, and we see that over and over as we get closer to the people we serve and and design around their their needs. Um, then it seems like so obvious, but um, frankly, a lot of the large active, uh, you know, programs didn't design that way. So I think that's that's one of the exciting trends we're we're looking at. Yeah, and so you're saying that's not that's true in a lot of different areas, not just with opioid addiction, but I think the tailor made to each one. The I guess the responses to these problems are more. I'm saying tailor-made, but for each community, because our communities are so diverse and so different. Yes, we have the overall, yeah, yeah which is really key, which and is important. And also you which, get more ownership. I mean, if you ask somebody to design their own solution, you're going to get a lot more ownership and commitment than asking somebody to do something that was imposed on them. And and it sounds so, it does sound like, well, duh, but it is actually um, actually somewhat of a new trend in uh, in, in activism. And how did it come about as a new trend? I know you work for the Bill and uh, the Gates Foundation, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, uh, are they responsible for any of these new kinds of trends? These new trends? No, I think the the, the trends in the book and the few others I can mention: digital uh, uh, scaling, more innovation, the digital revolution, working on more and more issues about equity, um, are all things that I feel the, the Gates Foundation and many other. Um, uh, organizations are, are are also incorporating into their work, but I wouldn't I, I wouldn't say any of these were um, shaped or created by any individual organization or institution. They they are in fact these macro trends that have come about over time. Now there's they're different for each of the trends. I identify some of the reasons why they're more relevant now than they've been in the past, um, or why the opportunity to take advantage of them is greater now than ever. Um, you know, I would say around the trend toward more and more um, work on equity and what I call leveling the field as a part of our activist uh, voice has really come about by the changes in the world over the last decade or two when um, we have seen, you know, more and more demand for inclusion, more and more demand for um, um, equity in, in, in all aspects of life. And the uh, 
uh, social sector, the community of uh, groups that work on social change, they're really having to grapple with this like everybody else. And I think that uh, one, it will never go back to the way it was, which is a good thing as we look at. Um, and there, that is something that I see the Gates Foundation and others very much uh, uh, working on and grappling with. What about, can we put this in the context really specifically of the COVID-19 and the way it, uh, the response to the, the federal response, local response, community responses to the pandemic um, have been here in the United States? Yeah, it's interesting. I wrote this book. Um, I, I've been very involved in the COVID-19 response, both at the global level, uh, working with the WHO and at the local level and um, and national level. And it's uh, as I was writing the book, I kept the COVID came about. And so um, <laughs> uh, it, it, it actually reflects all five trends. And very quickly, I mean, you know, the, the first trend about the world changing, demographics changing uh, kind of in an interesting and positive way. I mean, this is a trend that shows that, you know, suddenly it wasn't, you know, the United States going in and saving and helping the rest of the world, but in fact, quite the opposite in many ways. So we were reaching out to the rest of the world um, to 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 get um, you know PPE and other things, and so uh, it it wasn't the old model of the global north serving the global south, but it's been uh, really mixed it up. The second trend, um, very true on community based responses. So we've you know pretty much failed to have any kind of federal plan. But you know you look, I look at my own community of Seattle, and while we were the first community hit, we have had um, we now are the, the probably the lowest ratio of, of new cases of any major city, and there was a huge local effort led by local businesses and local community and health leaders to sort of come together and say, we're going to do it this way, and we're going to do it our way, and we're going to have to figure this out. And and I see that all around the country, almost to a fault, that we've had so many, a checkerboard of responses. But then also in, in um, COVID, uh, the issue of equity has become front and center as we see this increased uh, diversion, uh, div- um, divergence between how, you know, the rich America and poor America are um, being affected, and both on the economic side and on the health side. You know, of course, this weekend we're seeing the president's treatment, which is compared to how anybody else would get treated, is, is sort of a glowing example of that. And, and I think we're grappling with, uh, in, for instance, in designing how a vaccine would be distributed and other interventions, uh, how to make sure that these, uh, this does have a more equitable approach. And then, of course, the digital world has been front and center on, on the COVID vaccine. I have seen thousands and thousands of new ideas, apps, uh, almost uh, too many, to be honest, um, of how do we help uh, use digital capabilities and data uh, on every aspect of this pandemic. Is I guess the question, my question is, is this anything, I mean, is this anything new or are more of us becoming aware of it? For instance, I mean, the, the you talk about checkerboard responses to the COVID-19, and of course the president's going to get a different level of care than you or I. That's expected. I mean, all that's that's been true throughout history, I think. I mean, and, and that the, you know, the head of state is going to get the, cutting-edge kind of treatment, and the average person isn't. Um, so that's not that's something that's part of our history, as I assume. I was just reading something about the history of polio in our country, and, uh, I mean, they mentioned all the presidents uh, who were, you know, in terms of, I think, 
the history of how the presidents get preferential treatment as opposed to, uh, you know, the average person. So that's not new, I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, well, well I, yeah. I, and I would agree that, and, and I maybe the president's example is a bad example. I'm not saying the fact that there is unequal um, inequity is new at all. Obviously, it's always been. But I think the new opportunity is that people are actually talking about it and addressing it. So, you know, we haven't seen the kind of level of policy resolutions about um, at, the, at, at, at the UN and in, the, uh, in, the, in Congress around how to make sure that there's more um, equitable uh, response. We're designing the you know, vaccine rollout with equity as one of the first principles in it. I mean, those, there is, um, you know, a lot of programming and initiatives and money that has never happened before going into gender-based responses uh, to health and ec- economic development that are um, quite specific for COVID. Those are, those are what's new. It's not the fact that the uh, problem is the same old problem. It's, I think, and in the way we look at social change and activism, there's much more uh, voice and money and resources and initiatives that are going into addressing and uh, uh, chipping away at that equity issue. So our attitudes are changing and our responses are changing, which is a good thing, a positive thing, a good trend. You know, yes, the same issues may have, we have the same problems, but we look at them in a different way and we're treating them in a different way. Um now, what what about other trends? Now we've talked about some of these, but what in terms on the macro level? Yeah, well, the the fourth trend that I talk about, and and again, it's a bit well, duh, obvious, but it's actually the one I think we sometimes underestimate its power is the trend of the digital and data revolution, and of course, it's a trend that comes with both uh, positive and negative consequences, and we are talking a lot about the negative consequences around misinformation and data privacy and data governance and all of that. But the, and those are serious issues. And I, again, don't underestimate them, but the, um, but the, the power of digital in social change and social impact is, is uh, still an untapped uh, and an exciting potential. And I see it front and center in the work I do uh, all around the world where uh, coming, we're getting to understand problems differently because we have the data. We're getting to reach people remotely because we can do that new, through new tools. We can, um, you know, uh, simplify processes because of the new capabilities. Um, it, it's a very powerful trend, and uh, and the social sector has kind of been the slowest to jump on board. And so, I think for any kind of next generation of activists. Uh, that that's a trend that clearly one has to grapple with the the um, and mitigate the the risks associated with it. But I think that's um, a very powerful uh, trend that a lot of people can say see how they could become practical activists. And then the last trend is probably the kind of in some ways the the most uh, complex, but it's the most interesting. And in, and in that that we have in, seen enormous investment in the last thirty years around the world and all sorts of ways to come up with new ideas to, um, uh, you know, approach global health and development. And so, and that's had enormous consequences. And we've seen the level of investment uh, uh, just go way up. But what that's resulted in is a lot of, a lot of new ideas, a lot of uh, initiatives and pilots. And now we have to figure out how to scale them up. So I talk about the last trend being the, um, Focusing on scaling up uh, innovation uh, to uh, and and what I sometimes call the uh, the the unsexy middle. It's that uh, work between coming up with an idea and it 
you know, being developed and, uh, and it, it being um, used in the last mile. And that's a long journey, which is very complicated, but it's a very rich journey for activists where you can learn how to help, you know, use a lot of different skills to take an idea and, and, and get it to mo- reach more people, um, make sure it's part of a policy, make sure it reaches community, make sure it's marketed well, all the things that it takes to scale up a great innovation. And we simply don't have enough innovations going to scale. Isn't that the role, I would say, as I'm listening to you, the role of the millennials? This is a huge role for them in, in terms of social activism and being able to accomplish what you just described. Um, yes. Absolutely. And also it's one where people can see themselves in that solution more. I think sometimes it's like, well, if I'm not a, you know, a techie, how can I help on the digital? Or if I, you know, if I don't, you know, I, a lot of people are nervous about, you know, getting engaged in discussions of equity and equality. Um, but on, on the scaling one, it's very easy to find a role for yourself. You know, okay, I can go help be part of a marketing. I can make, uh, I can, I can work on, uh, I know how to work on, you know, regulatory stuff. I can be an attorney and do deals for you. Uh, but people can find ways to contribute in that area that I think the millennials will find very exciting. And so there's a lot of focus right now in global health and development and, and even in, in domestic saying we don't need as many new ideas as we need some of the great ideas we have to get to reach the people that need them the most. And I think that's um, been, a, been a classic problem for years is that we have a uh, we like the new shiny object more than the, the long slog of actually making something really scale up and have impact. Yeah, well, I think that uh, instant gratification is still with us, as you say, that shiny object rather than uh, viewing the problem in the long run, right? And I, I would assume that has to do with the education of, of, of all of us, but particularly millennials and Gen Xs to be able to do that and, it ha- and the way we educate the next generation uh, uh, is very is key in terms of how they see themselves and their ability to make these changes. Y- you don't have to yeah, be the big, I, t- yeah. It's exactly. I mean, that's actually was the driver of the book is to say, look, you know, the students I work with or my own kid and his friends, they 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 almost um, I, I hear them, you know, trying to wrestle with how am I going to contribute or how do I make a difference, but it feels so overwhelming. And so, but you know, with with there, you know, so I'm hoping and, you know, that this will be a little bit of that a nudge to say, you know, think about how you can take your whatever you learned in school or whatever your uh, passion and just do something small and practical and, and, it, and you can contribute. And I, I think you're right that it has a lot to do with education. It also has a lot to do with incentives. So, you know, we... You know, today we give Nobel Prizes to inventors. We don't really give big prizes to people that take things to scale or, you know, do the hard work in the in the community. So I I kind of dedicate the book to those practical activists that don't get celebrated but actually are actually having an equally uh, and maybe even an outsized impact on changing the world. Well, Steve, we have a couple minutes left, and it is an important book for all of us to read. Undercurrents is the title of the book, Channeling Outrage to Spark Practical activism. And I've been talking to Steve Davis. Steve, what website should we go to uh, for more information about your book, about what you're doing, or other websites that may be of interest or related to this topic? Yeah, well, first in the back of the book, um, I list uh, a lot of organizations and their websites uh, who I've referenced in the book. Um, 
Uh, the book site is www.undercurrentbook.com. Um, and I also uh, am fairly active on Twitter at Steve, S- Steve Brown Davis, S-T-E-V-E Brown, B-R-O-W-N Davis. Um, and uh, and uh, I'd also, uh, you know, a lot of the story in the book is uh, from the organization I used to run called PATH, which is a big global health uh, innovation organization, and that's www.path.org. Thank you. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Steve. Yeah, thank you very much. Take care. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 